Today's reading, if you would join me, uh, is from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 22. So that's Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 22. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, for those of you who don't know our guest worship leader, he's, he's actually a, a very, very old friend. He's... Um, I think he knew me before I knew my wife. Right, Chris? Yeah, when I was single. It's a long time ago. (laughs) You know, I've I've had four kids since. So um, uh, Chris, who has four of his own, I modeled my life after him. So, you know, uh, I'm glad he stopped at four. So... um, (laughs) But Chris has been with us uh, from, from way long ago. I don't know if you guys know the history of regeneration. We used to meet at this rave hall, this nightclub. Um, that's kind of where we started, and uh, that's where we actually found Chris playing at the rave. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but he, uh, that's where we used to meet, and that's where Chris was, and that's where we used to clean up uh, dirty things before meeting at church because it was uh, a rave hall. So... Um, if you want to hear of any dirt on regeneration, on my life or whatever, just talk to Chris and he can fill you in. Uh, and then uh, I will be pray for, praying for you right now because you, you should be concerned with other things. Okay. God, uh, we thank you for old friends like Chris and we pray, God, that you would speak to us through your word. We desire to hear from you and so may you give us the sensitivity, the receptivity to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at identity this morning, and when we look at identity, we tend to look at things like ethnicity, socioeconomics, education, uh, vocation, some other status types of identifiers, and Christianity actually, what it does is it, it inverts all of those things. And all the things that people find value in are not the most significant traits within a Christian's life. The the Christian identity is uh, quite a a paradoxical identity when when we're comparing it to what our world strives for. You look at Mark chapter 8, verse 35, 
It reads this, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So it's this inverted way of thinking in comparison to our me-first society. Our world tends to belong to the privileged, the rich, the powerful, the significant. But, but this is what Jesus said, starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus wasn't simply saying the kingdom of God belongs to little people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the kingdom of God belongs to the vulnerable, the weak, the disadvantaged, the powerless, the insignificant. And so this is just this really enigmatic way of thinking, right? And it's, it's really hard to understand this in, in our modern-day kingdoms of the world that don't think this way. Because Wall Street does not think this way. Governments and militaries of the world do not think this way. The kingdom of God is, is completely reversed. And we, we can't receive the kingdom of God the same way that other kingdoms are received. Now, it's not some punitive thing. right? It, it's, it's this. We, we won't feel at home in God's kingdom if we are prideful. If we do take advantage of other people if we attempt to buy our way in or politic our way in, that we think we are more important than other people. We just won't feel at home in the kingdom of God. It's not some punitive thing that, oh, then you don't get it. We just won't feel at home there. We will feel totally out of place in the kingdom of God if we're not like a child. Now, verse 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, told people in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is king and he came to declare his kingly rule. His kingly reign is being established in the lives and in the hearts of his people. The miracle Jesus did or the, that he did, were, they, they were evidence of his rule over his creation. To heal people who have disease, to raise the dead, to, to cure disability. All those things were under his control, the mastery over nature. And so Jesus invites us to come under his reign, not as subjects, but to reign with him. And that's the essence of what is happening today. One of my favorite philosophers, I heard him say, at a lecture, his name is Dallas Willard. He, he's, uh, he died a couple of years ago. And he says this about discipleship to Jesus. He says, we are training for reigning. We are training for reigning. That we're not subjects to God. We are training to reign with him. We are his children. There is an inheritance for us. There is a, a, a passing down. And, and God is training us to reign. But our training is not in politics. It's not in military strategy. It's not in currency manipulation or tax loopholes in how to be the 1%. It's not in that. Our training involves losing our lives. 
for Jesus' sake, for the gospel's sake. Our training involves being like a child. Let's look at verse 13 again just for some quick observations. They were bringing children to him. Now you notice that the children had to be brought to Jesus. You see how helpless they were to getting to Jesus on their own that they probably didn't even know that they were supposed to do that. And they needed others who had more of an ability to bring them to Jesus. They were, they were weak. And it was their caregivers who brought them to Jesus. Now you'd think that the disciples, after learning from Jesus, would make a, a wide path for these children to come and meet Jesus. You, you'd think that, but they don't. Verse 13 says, And the disciples rebuked them, which caused Jesus to be outraged at their action. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. What Jesus saw from the disciples was unrighteousness, injustice. People came to seek blessing from from Jesus for their children, and, and the disciples acted as obstacles. And Jesus was greatly displeased because his disciples were just going along with society, which at the time didn't feel that children were significant at all. Children were just looked upon as these weak, helpless, needy dependents, which they are. Right? That's what they are. But the, but the kingdom of God values those qualities. The, the kingdom of God belongs to people like that. You'd figure the disciples would understand this, that the people that they tried to stop Jesus then corrected them, and and like the guy who was casting out demons in Jesus' name back in Mark chapter 9, verse 38, John said to him, Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. And what was right before that? Look at verse 35 in Mark chapter 9. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so did they pass this next test? No, they're just keeping the children away from Jesus. And that just happened a chapter ago. right? And here, here we are in chapter 10, verse 13, and what Jesus said a very short time ago was not followed. And in no way am I judging the disciples because how often is this me? I study and read and I hear something and I learn from it just to find out a short time later that I violate it. Now, keep in mind that this wasn't just talking about children, right? Like I said earlier. We see this in verse 14 of chapter 10. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. In other words, people such as these, people like these children, not that they're minors and that they're little people. See, Jesus wasn't talking about childish people. He was talking about childlike people, vulnerable, needy, weak, helpless people. 
Verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is a important point to make. It's, it's like a child, childlike. It is not childish. See, there's a huge difference between the two. Huge. Here are some signs of t- childishness according to many psychologists. I, I found the data in actually multiple sources, whether it's psychology today to focus on the family, it's relatively all the same. And here are a, a list of them. Emotional bursts. Right? Children, younger children, they often, they cry, they pout, they throw tantrums when things don't go their way. Childish. That's not childlike. Blaming. I see some smiles. Some of us must have young children, right? Blaming. Children, they look to blame others rather than owning their own mistakes. Lying. They lie to get out of trouble than than dealing with reality. They start name-calling. That those... There are personal attacks. Rather than attacking the issue, they have really poor impulse control. That one I get a lot. That one I get. They say things and they act without thinking about them. Right? They're, they'll, they're, they are self-centered. They bully. They're narcissistic. They're, they're immature defense mechanisms. Right? Their, their defense is an offense rather than listening and then problem solving. They have an inability to learn from their mistakes. That actually sounds like a lot of adults I know. Right? Childish, right? Not childlike. And that's not what Jesus is calling us. Jesus was not encouraging those childish behaviors. But he did say to receive the kingdom of God like a child. Like a child. See, there's, there's some wonderful childlike qualities They're not all bad, like weakness, vulnerability, neediness, helplessness, and all this. There are some really great childlike qualities, like faith. Isn't it amazing that a child can put their faith in a parent that is actually not that great? That they can put their faith in, that they have a trust, that they have a sense of wonder and curiosity and creativity, that they, for the most part, they're teachable. So not all childlikeness is weakness, but we do know that the kingdom of God belongs to the vulnerable and the weak, the disadvantaged, the powerless, the insignificant. And you look at whom Jesus butted heads with and who, who was readily welcomed into the kingdom. So, so it's like, it's the childlike and not the childish who belong to the kingdom of God. One of the best qualities of humanity is that we can achieve so much. It's also one of the worst qualities of humanity is because we believe that we can achieve anything. And this is not a true statement. I, um, I know some of you will disagree with me, especially maybe some very positive people who believe that a person can achieve anything in life. And that's a lie, isn't it? I mean, really think about that. Can I ever be an NBA basketball player? (laughs) Ever. Like even when I was a young kid and I had all the coaches and I did all the stuff and everything as possible as I can, it is just not a reality. It's not a reality. You don't get everything that you want or that you work for. It is not true. There are 450 spots in the entire NBA. 450. 
there are more than 450 people who want those positions. Not only this, but anyone around my height (laughs) can only really play the guard position. Really. So there are less than 200 spots for somebody my height. And about one, about 1%, it's about 1% of NCAA basketball players, NCAA Division I, make it to the pros, 1%. I couldn't even make an NCAA team. I couldn't even make a college team. How am I supposed to think I can achieve anything? And we tell kids this when it's not true. That's not true. And and this is a problem of some religious people because they often believe that they can achieve their way to God. And you can't. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You can to hell. You can choose to be separated from God. But you can't earn your way to heaven. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages, wages, what we earn, the wages of sin is death, hell, separation from God. But the free gift of God, you can't earn that. It is a free gift. It's free. There's nothing to earn. It's God's grace is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is what we're we're going to encounter in this next section of Scripture when this man ran up to Jesus and asked, Good teacher, what must I do? You don't get it, son. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's not even the right question to ask. The gospel... The good news wasn't about what we need to do. The gospel is all about what Jesus did, what he already did. And that's one of the beautiful qualities of childlikeness, the childlike faith, trust, wonder in what Jesus did, not what I have to do. This is a very, very challenging belief to have, especially in the Bay Area. Really hard. Because we are a place of achievement. We have have achieved so much in the Bay Area. You think about this. It is the center of technology for the world, of biotechnology. It is the Wall Street of the West. Innovation and science and entrepreneurship, culture, art, politics, those are just to name a few things that the Bay Area has put so much achievement into. And we tend to elevate those achievements. We tend to elevate them into places of of pride where it's really, really difficult to see our brokenness because you can really only see your brokenness in humility. It is impossible to see reality when, when status is the valued platform from which we see our own identity. It's impossible. 
and the status doesn't allow us entry into the kingdom of God. Status isn't at home. It doesn't have a place in the kingdom of God. And this is exactly what happened to King Herod in Matthew chapter 2. See, he, he didn't want another king. So when he heard that a king was born in Bethlehem, he had all the male children under two years old murdered. And so you see where that brokenness, where it leads. It leads to insecurity. It leads to a belief that no one else can possibly rule my life as well as I can. So, so no one should be able to tell us about our sexuality or our relationships or our finances or any other decisions that, that we make because what we've done is so praiseworthy. We've achieved so much. But then it goes back to praising creation rather than praising the creator, which is an ironic thing. Because you even look at your own iPhone. right? Your, your models come and go every year. And that praise is really short-lived. But there was a movie made about Steve Jobs. And people still, even after his death, writing books and creating movies and they're looking at the creator. And we can talk a lot about rockets and electric cars and alternative energy, but we don't praise those creations as much as we praise those innovators and those creators like Elon Musk. And so I find people's reaction to the gospel, the, the good news, inconsistent with what we deem as praiseworthy in our world where creation is praised over the creator. We don't really do that in our world, yet we do that kind of like in those heavenly spaces where we believe we can achieve anything, even the entrance into the presence of God. But the kingdom of God is it, it's a paradox. It's inverted. We don't enter by strength. We enter by weakness. We don't enter with false facades. We enter with vulnerable, vulnerable honesty. Just raw honesty. Verse 16. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And it wasn't because they earned it. It was a gift. And right after this is when a man came running up asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. Now at first glance, this man seems like a really great candidate to follow Jesus. It's, this guy has everything in order. There's, there's no sketchy past. There's no glaring sin. This guy looks good. And we're informed that he was a young man from Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 19. We're informed that he was rich in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and we're informed that he was a ruler in Luke's account, which is likely a ruler in the synagogue. This, this guy has it all together. Verse 17, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we see that this guy was pretty enthusiastic when, when he was approaching Jesus. He ran up to Jesus. And as he, he was a respectful person, he, he knelt before Jesus and that he was really heavenly minded. See all the great qualities about this guy? He's heavenly minded because he's asking Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? This guy seems like a really, really good guy. 
This is a guy a young lady would bring back to mom, right? Young, wealthy, enthusiastic, respectful, heavenly-minded, a leader. This is, this is a dreamy guy, right? This is, this is a guy one of my girls could bring back to my wife, and, and he'd be liked by her. It, it really doesn't matter what the guy is like when they bring them back to me, because I know I won't like him. It just doesn't matter. My wife would like this guy, though. Me, no. Nah. I'm totally kidding. But seriously, this guy is one of those guys that, you know, if you were on Coffee Meets Bagel, you'd press like, because it's like, oh, this guy, this guy has it all together. And, and, and he, doesn't he seem like the kind of guy that would just be a great, great addition to Jesus' squad? Right, like young has money, is a leader in the synagogue, he's respectful, like, he has everything. He's the whole package. And especially after all those missteps that the disciples have made, the latest one keeping children away from Jesus, and you think, this guy, he is a breath of fresh air. Like, he has it. You know, forget you 12, I'm starting over with coffee meets bagel guy. Like, I'm starting over with this guy. But don't let appearances fool you. This guy seems great. He seems great. But he's also the only guy in the entire New Testament who was recorded as meeting Jesus and going away sorrowful. He's the only one recorded for that. It's, it's just really surprising how it all started, right? enthusiastic to meet Jesus and, and how he, he ended up going away sorrowful. But this describes a lot of people, including Christians. That if, that if there is a God who is good, then that good God will reward nice and good people who try their best. That's I'm making this really, really simplistic, but with all the conversations that I've had with strangers and family and, and acquaintances and relatives, like this, this is generally how people think about God, if they believe in a God, in a, in a good God, that, that a good God rewards nice and good people who try their best. And you can try this experiment, go down to the lake, and I think you'll about get the same type of thing. And Jesus agreed, God is good. God is good, but are we? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. God reigns over his kingdom, and Jesus said in chapter 10, verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Like a child, vulnerable, disadvantaged, powerless, insignificant. And that is not what the rich want to hear. That is not what the powerful want to hear. It's challenging for powerful people to admit that they are weak. And the powerful won't feel at home in the kingdom of God who feels, who, who does, who can? Is it the good that feel at home? 
And this was what Jesus was getting at with this man. Jesus was getting down to his identity and, and whom he identified Jesus as. And Jesus does this for us today. He shows us who we are through his spirit and through his word. He also shows us who he is through his spirit and through his word. And, and unless we truly know who we are and who Jesus is, we won't understand the gospel. We won't understand the kingdom of God. When, when we find our identity in wealth and power and goodness, religiousness, we fool ourselves to believe that we don't need God. So Jesus points out the fault of this rich, young ruler who is very religious and points out some of the commandments. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. That's not quite 10, is it? Isn't it interesting the ones that he does point out? Because the ones that Jesus points out are the ones that deal with other people. They're kind of the horizontal commandments. To love your neighbor as yourself, commandments. And so this guy seemed pretty good at these things. And then in verse 20 he said, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. He must have been like really happy. Yes, I got these. And there are people like this. There are people who are really good. They are really moral people and they treat people great. They are good people. There are actually some religious people like this. I actually found more non-religious people who are like this. But there are religious people who are like this. And, and they've actually even gotten religion down. And they're, they're morally and religiously, they are on point. But they still miss the mark because their confidence is... Not in God. It's in themselves. It's in their flesh. And it's in what they can do. That was Paul. That was the Apostle Paul. Let's, let's read about Paul. Because this is exactly who he was. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. In other words, you couldn't know more about religion than me. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ." The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And what happened to Paul? He saw who he really was. He saw who Jesus really was, and it changed him. See, God opened his eyes, his mind, his heart, and sometimes the truth is really, really, really hard to hear. 
even when it's done out of love. Which Jesus always does things out of love. Verse 21, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And so sometimes the truth really hurts. And Jesus is really good at touching upon truth. So what was Jesus saying to this guy? Essentially, it was Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, the rich young ruler's devotion, his loyalty, were to his treasure in earth. It was not to the treasure in heaven. And Jesus, he knew that. So what was Jesus telling him to do? Jesus wasn't telling him to perform some deed, because this guy is really good at that. He can do anything you tell him to do. But yet we can't earn the kingdom of God. We, we can't even take this as a prescription, because if we all go and sell everything that we have to the poor, it does not mean that we've earned our way into the kingdom of God. You can't earn your way. It's not some universal truth. What is the universal truth is that this rich young ruler had to get rid of his idol. That's a universal truth. And his possessions were his idol. Now you look at the commandments Jesus pointed out and the ones that he didn't point out. It was obvious to Jesus which ones that the man broke. And so Jesus left those out. He left out the very first two commandments. You turn to Exodus chapter 20. Starts in verse 2. It says, I am the Lord your God. And then verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And so this young man couldn't see that what he was about was really himself. He was really about his own possessions and living for today. Even though he asked about eternity. Why does he even ask the question about inheriting eternal life? Well, everything lined up for this guy. Yet there was still some doubt in his relationship with God. And even with all that would seem to fulfill an individual with wealth and power, status, youth, morality, well-mannered, something was still missing within, even though others saw nothing but greatness in this guy. This guy is representative of people who believe that they can achieve anything on their own, including heaven, that if they are good, that if they are good, they'll earn a place in the kingdom of God. But that is not true because we cannot earn that. It can't be earned. It is a free gift. And the commandments aren't a series of steps to get someone into heaven. It's not ten steps to get into heaven. The commandments serve as reflections of, of the conditions of who we are. They show us who we really are. They are not steps to heaven, steps to the presence of God. And here this guy comes, he comes pretty happy, happy about how he's followed some of these things, but, but the reflection shows how he really views God and what he's really devoted to. He is a good guy, really good guy 
who, who hoped the commandments, they were just like checklists, checklists of, of, of what he wanted spiritually, but that's not their purpose. They are not a checklist. They are a reflection of how far we really are from God. The kingdom of God is not second to anything. And it's not because God's insecure, but because if it isn't, whatever is first in your life leads you away from it. And so you take riches as an example. If riches are the priority of someone's life, then, then everything that that person does and thinks about and revolves their life around, about is about acquiring more, about maintaining what they have, even at the expense of relationships. And so that's what idolatry does. Idolatry, it, it makes the relationship with God the inferior relationship because whatever the idol is takes priority. And so that further separates the communion with God. And so Jesus loved this man, and he pointed out that what was separating him from God, but he, he couldn't do it. You know, give him any other commandment to do, and he could probably do it. This is a high achiever. This is a high achieving individual, and he, he didn't get to that place in life by accident. But Jesus wasn't concerned with how much he could achieve. He was concerned about his relationship with God. And that's not something that can be earned. It is freely given. We're already fully accepted by God. It's just about whether we want that gift or not. If we have some idol in its place. And he wanted it, but not at the expense of his idol, of his possessions. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know, we're not told what happened after. Hopefully he did change. We don't know, but hopefully he did. And let's shift this now onto each one of us. Where are you with God? What, what are the idols in your life that are holding you back? from experiencing the fullness of God. See, we're all serving gods. Whether you think you are or not, you are. Because you are, whether you are serving yourself or money or some particular morality or lifestyle, we, we all have something that we are serving that is idolatrous in, in, in terms of where God is to be. And so where will serving that God or gods lead you? See, there's no lasting future beyond the grave in anything. They're all temporary. They all expire. And Jesus is giving us an invitation to follow him and experience joy that surpasses understanding and surpasses time. And unlike this man who went away from Jesus, sorrowful. There, there are folks here who are very religious. But you're not living in the joy of the Lord. You're living a very religious life. A very moral life. But you're spiritually blind to see Jesus for who he really is. And, and, and blind to who you are. We all need the spirit. We all need God's word to show us things Otherwise, otherwise we go away sorrowful.
So where, where are you with God? What, what is that idol that's holding you from full, whole communion with the Lord? Let's pray um, this collective prayer together. And I'll give you a second to look at it because I, I do know that if you want to pray it with sincerity, you kind of want to look ahead to see if that's something you agree with. And if it is, as, as we recite this together, um, go ahead and recite it. And if, if not, then be honest. You don't have to say this prayer. Had enough time? All right. Loving Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for calling us to live in spirit and in truth, to care for those who are weak, needy, hurting, and marginalized. We pray that we will be responsive to this word, that with childlike faith we will obey the truth we have heard, trusting and depending on you as our good Father and Holy King. Forgive us for trying to approach you on our own terms, for the ways we excuse ourselves and justify wrongful attitudes. We lay down our pride, self-righteousness. Cleanse us with the blood of your Son, our Savior. Reawaken in us the wonder, humility, and awe as we seek to live for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.